Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We give you praise. We give you worship. We thank you for bringing us to your presence once again. We thank you for being here with us. We thank you because we can do nothing without you. We thank you because we are no one without you. We thank you because if not for your death on the cross, Jesus, if not for the life that you shared, if not for the sacrifice of your blood, we would not be here today. Thank you, Jesus, for this sacrifice. We will never get tired of thanking you for this sacrifice. We will never get tired of remembering this sacrifice because it's, because it's for this sacrifice. It's because of this sacrifice that we are here today. Lord, we pray that as we go into your word, that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Open our hearts, Lord Jesus. I rebuke every spirit of distraction in the atmosphere. I rebuke every spirit of laziness, every spirit of sleep, every spirit that will cause people to miss anything that you have for them today. I send out of this environment in Jesus' name. And I pray that your children would have what you have designed for them to get today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome to another communion day service. I'd like us to open our Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8. I just want to read something briefly. It says, Be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall reap. For, what, for he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit everlasting life. Or rather, shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life life. Amen. The title of today's message is Choose Joy. So it's a mandate. It's something that I am telling you to do, right? So can you tell someone around you, choose joy. Choose joy. It's something that is going to be very important for you today. Even from the topic, at the very least, you can say two things. Number one, you can say it's something that is going to be decided by you, right? Say that it's something that is going to be decided by you, nobody else. That ultimately, the choice lies in your hand. That's the first thing you can say. The choice is in your hand. The second thing you can say, though, is that if I'm telling you to choose joy, what that means is that there are probably other options, right? Because if I present just one thing to you, and I'm saying, oh, choose that, it's like there's no choice here. There are probably other things that are in the mix I'm just saying what? Choose joy. And I want that to be your mantra for this year. One of them, anyway. There are some things that I want you to hold on to as you're walking into 2022. And this is one of them. Choose joy. It's that simple. But today, I'm going to present to you three choices. I'm going to present two extra choices along with joy. And I'm going to describe these choices. I'm, we're going to deep dive into them. I'm going to try to understand what these choices mean. And these choices are choices that we are very familiar with. The human existence is very familiar with these choices. But they are choices that we know. And I'm going to talk about them alongside joy. And I'm going to tell you why I am advising you to what? To choose joy and not any of these things. The first thing is pleasure. And the second thing is happiness. So these are the other two choices. Apart from what? Apart from joy. There's pleasure. There's happiness. And I'm telling you, choose joy. 
Why am I telling you to choose joy? Is there anything wrong with these other two? We will see. I'm going to start with pleasure. The first thing I want to say about pleasure is that pleasure was created by God. Pleasure was created by who? By God himself. I don't belong to the class of Christians or believe in a version of Christianity that says that for you to be able to serve God, you have to essentially rob yourself or deny yourself of every single good thing about the earthly existence. That is an extremity. It's not true. Pleasure was created by God. In fact, when God created the first man and brought the first woman out of the first man, he placed them in a garden of pleasure because the meaning of Eden is what? It's pleasure. So right from Genesis, pleasure has obviously been in the heart of of God. He made it. And I would describe pleasure for anybody that wants to write it down. Pleasure is utmost enjoyment or fulfillment that is found in man's earthly existence, this physical existence. Pleasure is utmost enjoyment that you find in your physical existence. The fact that you are in this world, this body. Man is a spirit. He is in possession of a soul and he lives in a body. But let's not discountenance the importance of that body. Because God did not create man in the spiritual realm. He created man from the beginning to have a physical existence. He made man on earth. So sometimes in the Christian narrative, when we're speaking about the fact that man is a spirit, he has a soul, he lives in a body, you tend to do this to the body. As if you're not walking about with these your two legs. As if after this service, you will not be hungry and want to eat something. You can't discountenance your body. It matters because it is a very primary part of what makes you a man or a human. And essentially, from the beginning of man's physical existence, God intended that man would have what? Pleasure. Because he put him in the garden of pleasure. But like we learned in Sunday school today, there is God's perfect will. There is a place for everything that God makes. God is not, our God is a God of context. Our God is a God of context. God would always do everything that he does in context. Essentially, there is a right way. There is his way of every single thing that exists. And you see, in the beginning when Adam and Eve were in that garden, before the fall, they had pleasure. But we have to de deduce, we have to be able to look at their lives because nothing, we don't have a lot of information about them in that time that they spent. But one of the things that God told us about them is that Adam was in sync with God. There was no difference between Adam and God in their way of thinking. So Adam had everything that he needed. Adam didn't have to, in quote, work for anything. Adam didn't have to toil. He didn't have to plant a harvest. That started after he left the garden. He had food. He had water. He had every resource that he needed. Adam didn't need to pray to God that they would pay his salary quickly. Adam didn't need to pray to God that he needs a new job. Adam didn't need to pray to God about sickness or his family. Adam didn't have any of these problems. He lived in complete what? Enjoyment of his physical existence. The uttermost enjoyment of his physical existence. He had pleasure. But this pleasure existed with some other things attached to it in that he was in sync with God. 
His thoughts were God's thoughts. God's spirit was inside him. Right? So there's nothing that he was going to do that was outside of the knowledge or approval or way of God. Because all that he knew was God anyway. Then the fall happened and Adam fell out of sync with God. He lost God's spirit and he became corrupt. He became corrupt because he lost the ability to think God's thoughts. He lost the ability to follow God's ways. And from that point, pleasure became a problem. Because the problem with pleasure is not that God didn't create it. The problem with pleasure outside of the presence of God and outside of the leading and direction of God is pleasure has a tendency for excessiveness. Can you say excessiveness? What that basically means is that your body, your flesh, would always desire to have more and more and more and more. Man's desire for pleasure has become insatiable and man's desire for pleasure seeks to rule him. And it is born out of the corruption that has seeped into man's body, his flesh, natural man. Because here's the thing, because the Bible says that in the garden, it says that if you eat of this, you shall die. And they ate of the fruit. And the Bible said that they died. And that death that they died was a death of spirit. In that God's spirit left them. But what that produced, what that led to in consequence is that this body is driven and committed to ending itself. If you let this body have what it wants all the time, you will die. Do you know? And it doesn't have to be the things that we celebrate or we point fingers to as sin. Like sex or sexual immorality. It doesn't have to be those things. If you sleep too much and you don't exercise or move this body, it will lead to ill health. And you would what? You will die. If you eat too much, you would have health complications. And if you're not careful, what will happen? You will die. Think about every single thing that has some measure of pleasure to it. If you commit too much of yourself to that thing, it has the capacity to kill you. It has the capacity to end your physical existence. Because pleasure, without God's spirit, without a disciplined soul, always wants what? Excessiveness. That's its primary characteristic. Excessiveness. And that's the reason why we're reading some verses. Can we open our Bible to Titus chapter 3, verse 3? Titus 3, 3. The Bible says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. It's interesting how he describes pleasures. He said what? Serving diverse lusts and pleasures. He makes it extremely clear that pleasure wants to rule. And enjoyment of your physical existence without the Spirit of God, whatever it is, it will rule over you. And this is the root cause of the things that we call addiction today. 
Not every addiction started as an addiction. No addiction starts as an addiction. It starts with a habit. No matter what it is. There's a hormone in the human body called dopamine. And it's usually, it's usually called the pleasure hormone. So there are different hormones. There are endorphins, there's serotonin, but there's dopamine. And dopamine is called the pleasure hormone. And essentially what this does is that when the body engages in an activity that it enjoys, that hormone is released into the body. And man has gotten addicted to dopamine rushes of different forms. For some people, it might be as simple as coffee. For some people, it's Coke. This Coca-Cola Pepsi. Because it produces something in you. But you cannot deny, even if you fall into these seemingly harmless categories, that if you're not careful, these things will rule you. Food can rule you. Sex can definitely rule you. Every form of addiction is born out of this verse. The fact that the things that we take pleasure in, outside of the direct control of God, they want to rule over you. They want you to serve them. That's what happened as a result of the fall of man. That pleasure in itself became corrupt. And Titus mentions it what, as something that is in our past. Because he said, you once were like this. You're no more like that. That's what he's trying to say. If you check 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, you will find that he's talking about what will happen in the last days. This is Paul admonishing Timothy, and he says that men will become, and this is verse 4, traitors, heady, heavy-minded, high-minded rather, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of of God. Again, drawing a distinction between those who desire pleasure and those who desire God. So, it's not a coincidence, and I've said this on this altar before, that when I started following God judiciously, the obvious things in my life that existed at the time that I expected that God would zero in on and deal with. It's not like he didn't deal with those things. Those obvious things that people get to talk about. The, in quotes, the vices according to our moralistic society. He dealt with those things. But what you find if you're truly walking with God is that when those things are over or even before they are over, the more you walk with God, God will now start to point out to you some things some things that are even more difficult to drop than some of those big things. Some things that you would never have expected that God would point out and say, that is a problem. You'd be surprised how difficult it was for me to delete albums on my laptop. This was like two years ago. It was so hard. This is not outward or outright sin. It's music. To delete them, because why? I took so much pleasure in just opening the laptop. I may not even be listening to it, too. Just opening the laptop and just clicking. And I just see all the categories. 2021, 2022 albums. Or rather, this wasn't 2021, rather. Because back then, it was 2020. So I had up until 2019. So 2019 albums, all the artists arranged. And I'm very, I love organization. It gives me a rush. So I've arranged everything by year, 1980, these albums, 1960, these albums. And he said, wipe everything off. And you'd be surprised how much I struggled with something that is seemingly so, like, simple, right? Doesn't sound like sin. Doesn't sound like, oh, he's telling me to stop sleeping around us. That's, those are the things you expect to get. If you were struggling with those things in your life, those are the things you pay attention to. And you may pay attention to them alone. God is not like that. 
Because you cannot love pleasure and love God. You have to drop one. So he starts to bring some measure of control into your life. There are some things that he will take away completely. There are some things that he would edit. Then he will bring in some new things that were not there before. Before we move into happiness, I want us to read, because I want us to look at these verses, because I want us to take them down to understand what they mean. James 4, 3, quickly. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Other versions say, that you may consume it upon your pleasures. So you might think that this pleasure conversation is just limited to when you are an unbeliever, but it's not. Even when you become a Christian, there are times that God will decide not to answer you. Because that prayer point that you bring to him is from what? From your pleasures. It's from your enjoyment, not from his will. You might use Bible verses to pad it. You know, we do that sometimes. How many of us have carried all those hampers or bought those hampers that the hamper is like 40,000? Then when you finally get the hamper, you now see that under, they padded the life. And there are just like five things inside. But it feels so heavy. It feels like there are a lot of things in there. Now pad it, pad it, pad it, pad it, pad it. You carry the hamper, like, oh my God, there's a lot of things there. You get to your house, you finally open it, you just see cornflakes. Eh, eh, Milo, this, maybe one small bottle of wine. This, the end. And by the time you bring it out and you carry the basket, it's still what? It's still heavy. It's a scam. Sometimes we do that with our prayers when it comes to God. We'll pad the prayer with Bible verses. We're trying to scam God. Because you say what? You said that you should what? remind him of his word, right? You say, Lord, remember that. See, no matter how much you say, God, I'm standing on your word. This, that, this, that, this, that. That Lamborghini, I want it next month. God is going to, <laughs> God is going to look at that prayer point and look at it based on his word as well. Do you understand? He's going to still look at verses like this. Because if it's by the word, even the devil knows the word. Because the devil tempted Jesus with the Bible. He just applied it wrongly and Jesus gave it back to him. Applying the word correctly. So, sometimes we ask out of our pleasures and we just pad it with the Lord shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Pleasure is something that we will deal with till we leave this earth. So let's move to the next one, right? So we've talked about pleasure enough. Let's move to happiness. You know the most fascinating thing about happiness if you read the Bible? And I asked the Holy Spirit why. I'm going to tell you. And I asked the Holy Spirit why it was so. And he gave me an answer. The Bible does not speak about happiness outside of the presence of God. So unlike pleasures that it sort of deals with in different places, the Bible does not necessarily speak about any form of happiness that you can get outside of God's presence. And I started to ask why. And I'll tell you the reason why soon. But let's define or describe our happiness. Happiness can be described. You can't really separate it from pleasure because they are very linked. Happiness can be described as emotional satisfaction from a pleasant experience. So a lot of times you can say pleasure can lead to happiness. So there's a pleasant experience. It can lead to happiness. So there are people that get excited by some things. If you bring a bucket of ice cream into my house, I have a sibling. 
She might not have tasted the ice cream, but just the fact that it is there makes her happy, right? So there's a pleasant experience and there's what? Happiness is emotional satisfaction that you get from a pleasant experience. That's how you describe happiness. But the question is, why doesn't the Bible speak about happiness outside of God's presence? Because there are so many verses. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Jesus said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Whether I use the word gladness or you look at the word cheer or you use the word happy, if you go through the scriptures, every single time you find these synonyms, it's always in relationship with God or his presence. And I said, Holy Spirit, why? And he told me because that is the Bible. And he started to give me examples. But essentially, the reason why is the Bible does not focus on things that are not relevant to its narrative. It does something else instead, which I will show you. But let me just expand on that for a little bit. Whether it's in form of characters or it's in form of situations, the Bible does not focus on anything that is not relevant to his narrative. Once that person's role is over, once that narrative is done, the Bible leaves it alone and moves on to the next person because the Bible in the end is a book about just one character, Jesus, and what he came to do and the relevance of what he came to do on us, on humanity. The Bible is not a historical book. It has historical value. But it's not a historical book. That's not the point. Because Nebuchadnezzar ruled in history, right? He's a king that was known. Babylon was an empire. But the Bible does not cover Nebuchadnezzar's life or exploits outside of its relevance to his own people, the children of Israel. If it's not related to his people, the Bible doesn't focus on it. So if you want a book of history about the whole of Babylon and the entirety of their race, the Bible is the wrong place to go. Because the Bible has historical value, but it's not a, an historical book. That's not the point. The Bible is not a book of moral codes. It has moral value. But it's not a book of moral codes. Because guess what? Other religions also have moral codes and values. If you read or dig into Chinese philosophy, you will find so many things that are applicable to... You'll find parallels, in short, with some things in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, some of the things that Moses said to them about how they should live. It's present in so many other religions. The Bible is not a book of moral codes. It has moral value. The Bible is also not a philosophical book. It has philosophical value. There are stories that Jesus told. There are parables that he told. There are things that Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Ecclesiastes, that speak about the human condition which is essentially the study of philosophy. Philosophy is the study of the human condition. But that does not make the Bible a philosophical book because that's not the point. The point of this book is not history, it's not morals, it's not philosophy. The point of the book is Jesus and the relevance of his sacrifice for you and for me. So rather than focus on speaking to us about happiness from the world, what the Bible does instead is to tell us just how temporary and how unstable this world and all that is in it is. That's what it does. It does that in the book of Matthew chapter 6. And many of the times that he does this, ironically, in, not in story form, but in word form, is from the lips of our master himself, Jesus. 
So in Matthew 6, 19 to 20. The Bible says, Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Matthew 16, 26. Bible says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There are countless examples, but I want us to read one more. Luke 12, 13 to 21. This is the parable of the rich fool. And it says, And one of the companies said unto the master, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. It's not a bad request. But Jesus said, And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of the certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to, where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And, and there I would be, store all my fruits and my goods. 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thou soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Rather than talk to you, about earthly happiness as a general subject. What Jesus does and what the Bible does instead is it tells you the problem with happiness outside him. Just like the key feature of pleasure is what? Excessiveness. The key feature of happiness is instability. It is not stable. You cannot depend on it because this world also suffered the same corruption that man suffered so you cannot depend on happiness so the world teaches that what do what makes you happy find something to make you happy it doesn't last On Twitter, I saw a lot of New Year resolutions. So many, and many of them were towards what? Happiness. So many buzzwords, so many people choosing to be happy this year. So I choose to be happy this year. And you see people say, just find what makes you happy and just do it. You see the problem with all of that outside God? is that those things are very unstable. They're very unstable. They don't last. You're not going to feel good about something all the time, even if you like it. So because happiness is linked to your emotions, and emotions themselves are unstable, and the world itself is unstable, happiness is in unstable by nature, you cannot depend on it. You cannot rely on it. So if you choose it, you're putting yourself in a position where you cannot predict what will happen tomorrow. Something might come tomorrow 
and shatter every single thing that you decided to put all your hopes on to make you happy. Some people find happiness in their job. Is that intrinsic? Is it a bad thing intrinsically? No. But that job might not be there tomorrow. And even if it's there tomorrow, it might not be there in the same way. You know, sometimes, there was a while back, what I came to realize was the practicality of just how much a small thing changing in your workplace can affect the entirety of your work. Like, as small as them changing your line manager, it can ruin everything. That job can become hell. That job that used to be good, that used to give you some form of satisfaction or happiness, nothing has changed per se. Still, you still have the same role. All of a sudden, that job becomes hell simply because one human being is gone. It's too unstable. I learned practically that I was working somewhere and they wanted to shift me to another branch. That's when I realized that it's not even the money that's keeping me here. Like, I cannot live here. There's something about here. I said, okay, we want to restructure the company. You're no more under this person. You're under this person. And it ruins the entirety of that thing that you claim to. Like, it's too unstable. Relationship, it's too unstable. Because that man can wake up tomorrow and become something else. That woman can wake up tomorrow and become something else or someone else. And you can't explain why. It's too unstable. Happiness is too unstable to choose. And that's the problem with it. So we can see from pleasure and happiness that it's not like they are bad things. It's not things to preach against, in quote. I'm not coming out here to talk about outright sin. I'm speaking to you about what you're resting your heart on and your hopes on this year. And that's the reason I'm telling you to choose joy. Because you see, the thing about joy is this. Joy would not exist if our relationship with God was not repaired. The reason why we have joy is because what? Our relationship with God is repaired. What that means is that we carry the Spirit of God. What that means is that what Adam lost that corrupted his pleasure, what Adam lost that made his happiness unsure, we have it back now. We have God's Spirit and what God's Spirit does to us is that He gives us access to His presence and His Word. He gives us access to what? To His presence and His Word. And when someone is telling you to be joyful, when someone is telling you to have joy, what that person is telling you in practical terms is to spend time in what? In the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there is what? Fullness of joy. The second thing it's telling you to is to spend time with the word of God. And the reason why you can do that is because you have access. Those who do not have Jesus don't have access to his presence. They don't have access to his word, his life-giving word. They might buy a Bible. It will never be relevant to them. Again, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus. Starting from John 15, verse 11. Just open John 15, 11. John 15, 11 says, 
These things I have spoken unto you, that what? That my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus associated his very words, the words that he spoke, to what? To joy. If you start reading the book of John from verse 13, he has said so many things. So when he said, these things I will say to you, he has talked about people hating them. He has talked about persecution of them. He has talked about so many terrible things. And he said, these things I say to you, that what? That my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. We get fullness of joy from the word of God. The words of Jesus. And that's what, that's the secret of some ridiculous stories you read in the Bible. Paul and Silas were arrested. And when they were arrested, what happened? They got into prison and they started what? Singing and praising God. This is not about happiness anymore. Because nothing about their unstable physical circumstance could bring them to a place where they would open their mouth and song. They were obviously not going through, and there was no form of pleasure available to them at that point in their life. There was no such thing. What they had was the word of God. Because I am sure, as one of the things they must have remembered is, he said what? I am with you unto the end of the age. Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Blessed are you when you suffer various things for my sake. When they throw you out of the synagogue, a time is coming when people would uh, want to kill you and they will say they are doing God a favor. These are all what? Words of Jesus. And that's why you see them ridiculously. I'm like, There's nothing external that makes them react this way. What brings that joy is the words of God. In the book of Acts, so when they were, when they brought them before the council and they were debating whether they should kill them or not, and Gamaliel spoke and said, okay, don't, don't do anything to them because it is possible that these people came from, from God. And all this drama started to happen. And at some point they said, okay, we're not going to do anything to you. They now scourged them. They whipped them. And when they whipped them, they sent them on their way. And the Bible says that as they sent them on their way, they were rejoicing. And this Bible says they were rejoicing because they had partaken of what Jesus what partook of. Because Jesus himself was also scourged with a whip. So they left that place. And you cannot say that there was any pleasure in them because they were obviously in pain. It's not, they whipped them with things that have spikes on them. They must have been going through a lot of physical pain. You cannot say they were happy. Because what's there to be happy about? Yet they left there rejoicing. Why? Because Jesus had told them that you will go through this for my sake. Like it's through this. This is the proof that you belong to me. That you are of me. So for them, it's the words of Jesus resurrecting in their spirits that, oh, we went through what Jesus went through. Definitely we belong to him. That's the joy that carried them not the physical circumstance. Do we understand? You must not underestimate the place of the word of God when it comes to your joy. Because it's not every time that you've been in the presence of God like this. Because the presence of God also brings you joy. And God is everywhere. But it's not every time that you'd be in his presence in quiet and in stillness to listen to him and for him to saturate you. It's not every time that you're in prayer. It's not every time that you're in praise. But the word of God is in you all the time. As long as you consume it. As long as you pay attention to it. It's in you all the time. Always available when you need it. The exact word that you need will spring up in your spirit and it will be a source of joy. So when I say choose joy this year, one of the things I'm telling you is what? Spend more time with the word of God. 
Because it's, your joy will be full when you spend time with God's word. And the second thing I want to say to you is from the book of John, also 16, verse 24. The two times when Jesus talked about our joy being full, it says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be what? Be full. Jesus was speaking to his disciples about sorrow here. And he said their sorrow will be turned to joy. He was speaking to them about the fact that he was leaving them and they did not even ask him where he was going because they were too sad. And he said, for a short while, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy because for a short while you will not see me, but then I will resurrect and you will see me and your sorrow will be turned to joy. And he said, after you have seen me, you have not asked anything in my name. This is actually where he first gave them the power to ask God for things in his name. He said, hitherto before now, you have not what, asked anything in my name. Then the next thing he said was, ask, and you will what, receive, so that your joy may be full. Another way of joy being in your life and in your heart is when you spend time in God's presence asking the Father, We've had countless examples of when we're teaching on prayer in Sunday school. We had countless examples of um, our teachers speaking to us about how prayer is so dynamic that sometimes in the church we have missed the mark in that people do not believe that they can wake up and essentially rant to God, rant to the Holy Spirit about how they are feeling, rant to the Holy Spirit about what is going on in their lives. Rant might seem like a flippant word, but I'm not using it flippantly. I'm saying that people believe that when they are coming to God, they have to have a cogent request, like, oh, I want you to do this, 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 and that. And until they have that, they don't approach his presence. Your joy will never be full that way. There are days that you come to the presence of God just to ask him for strength because you are feeling weak. Because this has happened. That has happened. This has happened. Oh, this is how I woke up this morning. And when you spend time in his presence, sometimes you don't even need to ask. Even from the praise, even from the moments that you begin to spend time and just open your heart to him and cry out to him, you find strength. Because Nehemiah 8.10 says what? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So we need to ensure that if we had a joy meter, it's never empty. That is always full. Because there is a fullness. If there is no fullness, the Bible won't speak about it so much. And if something can be full, it means it can be empty. Right? So it means there are times that you can run out of joy. And if you don't know those things that are clearly stated in the word of God that you should do to make sure that your joy is what? Is full. You start depending on flimsy things like happiness. Happiness that is so unstable that you can't depend on. You start depending on flimsy things like pleasure that if you do in excess can kill you because it will lead to addictions. It will lead to things in your life that you don't want. It will lead to things in your life that will cause the devil to come in as a serpent and bite because you broke the hedge. So this year, choose joy. Spend more time in the presence of God. Amen. Spend more time taking his word in. And as I close, I want to show you two verses in the Old Testament to show you that God doesn't just care about your joy. 
He also cares about your happiness too. He cares about those emotions. He wants you to be happy. The difference is he wants you to be happy in him. And I will read Psalm 144, verse 15. Psalm 144, verse 15 says, and this was when David spoke about God as a mighty fortress and all the things that God has done and all the things that God has done for him and all the promises of God upon his life. And I would encourage you to read the full psalm because it's a beautiful psalm. But he ends, he ends it with these words. He said, happy is that people. That's the people that he has been speaking about from verse 1 who have enjoyed these promises and have had these experiences. He said, happy are what? Are those people, happy are that people that is in such a case. That's happy are those people that are in this situation. Happy are those people that can say these things about their own lives. And it says, yeah, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. You see, the word God there is Elohim. It's Elohim. And Elohim is plural in nature. It's plural in nature. When we use it, it signifies the Trinity. He gets. That God is three in one. But in the Bible, it's not just used for our God. It's also used for pagan gods. Because most nations serve multiple gods for different things. So David knows what he's saying here when he's saying what? Happy is that people whose God, whose Elohim is Jehovah. That's what you are reading, essentially. Or whose Elohim is Yahweh. Because there are people whose Elohim is not Yahweh. Who cannot say that everything that he has said from verse 1 to verse 14 is their life and their experience. They can't say it. Because their Elohim is not Yahweh. But he said, happy are those people whose Elohim is Yahweh. And finally, I want us to read Proverbs 16, verse 20. And it says, He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusted in the Lord. What does the Bible say? Happy is he. Whoso trusted in the Lord, what does it say? Happy is he. Happy is what? Is he. Amen.